The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent, including Olas Media. Olas Media. Attacking the podcast world. And based on the true legendary cult classic, Olas Media presents... Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Did somebody mention biscuits? Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. They'll beat you, bash you, squish you, bash you, chew you up or run. How bad is it? Also, I definitely don't feel flying yet. I'm not talking about that, you wiener. What about the tomatoes? Salutations, cultivators of courage and lovers of the lens. Welcome to the Killer Tomatoes podcast. Costa Dillon is your host. He's the original sore of those cheeky, chaotic vegeta fruits that have been entertainingly enigmatic since the 1970s. Today's guest, Dan Fowler. Okay, we're here with Dan Fowler, Dead West. And we're here to talk about fantastic documentary uh, Dan put together on the history of the Killer Tomatoes franchise. Well, I have to say, uh, I watched it and spent a good part of it going, I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember that. (laughs) So why don't you just take a few minutes and tell us how you ever came to be uh, interested in Killer Tomatoes in the first place? Uh, Well, it started long ago. I was one of those kids that was, that caught the bug when the Killer Tomatoes cartoon came out. And I, after, you know, making the documentary, I know that that's much to your chagrin that the tomatoes cartoon caught on because that was not the interpretation you want people to like the most about tomatoes as these fanged face menaces from the produce aisle. But, but yeah, I got on board with the cartoon series, bought the toys. The only toy I had as a kid was the Wilbur Finn letter action figure with the mm-hmm. beefsteak. That was the only one I had as a kid. And uh, obviously when I grew up, I walked through the video store aisles and i would find out like later on maybe late elementary school like oh my gosh there's a killer tomatoes live action movie and a sequel and i only knew of the first two at the time eventually i got to high school where i started renting my own stuff my parents didn't control like you know what i saw whatever because i lived in the south everything's the devil and uh once i got old enough to start finding this stuff and renting it and it was coming out in dvd because that was about the time the anniversary for the first movie was happening so it was becoming more easily accessible the dvds uh, so then I saw both movies, fell in love with, with them. Cora, I did like the second one more than the first. And uh, and I thought that was it. I thought there was just this cartoon series that was out there that you could only see through bootleg DVDs, YouTube. And then there were the two movies on DVD, uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Well, then I when I when once I got into college, I discovered the other two movies that I never knew existed, which were Killer Tomatoes Strike Back. Killer Tomatoes E France blew my mind. I was like, somebody made a wish and Genie just made it come out of nowhere. It's like, how, why is no one ever advertised this, made it, promoted this? Why are these never included in any of the DVD packages with the other first two movies? I don't know. But I was just super excited, super stoked, fell in love with the fourth one. That ended up becoming my favorite one uh, because uh, Killer Tomatoes E France. I love that one the most, as I said, in the retrospective, just because it was, uh, I just love that adventure the most. The, Fish Out of Water story with Mark Price, uh, Angela, Angela Visser, I thought was a superb uh, last girl, for lack of a better term, for her in the movie. And that was also, I thought, the movie that finally brought the tomatoes the way I loved them in the cartoon to the live action. I loved how they had the different personalities, the different looks to them. Uh, and then you fast forward 
uh, continue having my love of Killer Tomatoes. Eventually, my love of horror hosts and horror movies became my passion because I needed to funnel my love for because I'm an artist. I like doing film. I like acting. I like drawing. I like animating. So I had to funnel that into something. And eventually I funneled it into what I now have, which is Screaming Sue, which is the world's first fully animated horror host program uh, that I put up on YouTube, which is over 50 episodes right now, starting in 2014. Well, one of the catchphrases that came up for the show that was just my love letter to Killer Tomatoes and how long I loved it was at the end of every episode, after I rate something out of five, like a one out of five, two out of five, what have you. After I give a rating, I always follow that up, follow that up with, but what do I know? I like Killer Tomato movies. Eventually, what I had planned to do was once I reached 100 episodes, which I had to slow down, slow down a little bit because I started to increase the quality of the show, uh, which means more animation, which takes a little longer to do. Well, eventually, I was planning on doing 100 episodes in 10 years, and my swan song was going to be a review of all the Killer Tomato movies and finally dig deep and pull out all the information no one ever seemed to be bothering to do with the DVDs and their extra features. And that was, there was never any uh, interviews. I couldn't find anything behind the scenes and magazines, no publications, no DVD extras for the, uh, mostly for the third and fourth movie, but especially a little bit for the second return of the Killer Tomatoes because Eventually, there was a commentary from John DeBello. They got a little behind the scenes with Anthony Stark, but that was still about it. Uh, so when, what ended up happening was about 10 years passed. I only made it through a little over 50, and I realized, uh, especially with John Aston, who's now in his uh, almost mid-90s, I realized I better jump on this because if I wait till 100 episodes, some of these people, unfortunately, may not be around anymore to talk about this, so I had to jump on it. And uh, that was especially kicked off once I finally, uh, as mentioned, I, as a kid, I only had the Wilbur Finletter action figure. Well, the toy geek in me finally said, well, why don't you just finally finish collecting that line? So I did. And I collected the whole Mattel line of the rubber dog chew toys, like Steve calls them, with the little <laughs> figures. And once I did that, it's like, well, what to, where do I go from here? And knowing I needed to jump on the retrospective sooner than later, it just kind of culminated in that moment of realization, like, yes, this is what I need to do right now. Well, uh, especially while the going's good, everybody's doing Zoom calls because it was during COVID. Uh, nobody was really going out and doing much anything anyway. Uh, so I luckily managed to find uh, Steve's number, which he told me he hadn't answered this landline phone in forever. So it was just by a miracle chance that he picked up. Uh, I told him what I was wanting to do. He said that sounded cool. He would let uh, John DeBello and you, Costa, know what was going on. And uh, then it just kind of snowballed from there. Luck starting with you guys, they gave it the legitimacy that this was something serious that I was doing with your blessing. And then I got a lot of other people on board, like Mark Price and Karen Missile and John Aston and Steve Lundquist. And I just hunted all these people down, anyone I could possibly find that had anything to do with the movies, the cartoons, the toy lines. And I just did what I've been waiting for someone else to do my whole life. And that was it just finally culminated all of this trivia I've been dying to know about these movies and the cartoon series into a three-hour-long documentary that just covers everything from your humble beginnings with your Super 8 films all the way to where you made the uh, second season of the killer tomatoes cartoon series it got canceled 
And while you guys have still been doing things with the franchise since then, that's more or less the the last big bookmark, I would say, for the franchise until something bigger comes along, like a remake or a reboot or another sequel. That was about right. the time That's when great. you started making those calls, I think, when we began getting rumors that there was a serial killer yeah. out <laughs> trying to go after people related <laughs> to killer down killers. everybody in the killer community. Oh, no, no, that, that guy was a large and red. Yeah, and right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Big teeth. Yeah. You, 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 yeah, the, but we all know the most dangerous city in America is, um, um, what's, what's, you know, wherever, um, uh, Jessica, what's her name lives in Maine because somebody gets killed there every week, you know, it's like, <laughs> you don't, do not want to live in that town and that little town in Maine, somebody dies every week. Um, the, um, well, you hit on a couple of things there. It's like, uh, yeah, we didn't have any behind the scenes stuff because we were too stupid to film behind the scenes stuff. If we had been like any normal movie, um, we would have hired a videographer to walk around and shoot video of the of the film being made. And what we what exactly that. would we have hired them with? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, that uh, but to your that's credit, true. we didn't have any money credit, to hire though. anybody to take any. Yeah, we you know, we so we so we didn't we don't have any behind the scenes stuff because we didn't think. But of, you do. You well, do. We a little your, bit. To your credit, the fourth right. movie had some kind of little three, five yeah. minute behind the scenes feature. We did, we did that. By that time, we did have some. Yeah. And uh, I got that from Steve yeah. Lundquist. He's like, hey, yeah. I got this VHS. You want it? I never watched it. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Send it my way. And it was all that behind the scenes footage of uh, DeBello directing and you on set in, in France. After I've seen it. <laughs> oh, yeah, all, well, all the all the footage of that is in right. the documentary when we talk oh. about Killer Tomatoes uh, Eat France. It's yeah. not in the order it was in, of course, but right. every bit of footage was used for the documentary. Well, that that you you're right about the you know the the second and fourth one are the best ones. We're like you know Star Trek movies, you know, <laughs> the <laughs> even number ones are better. Um, the um, uh, there's no there's no comparison between them um, because uh, you know the first movie was, hey, let's make a movie, you know. <laughs> It's like Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. They're like, hey, let's make a movie. And we didn't have the slightest idea what we're doing. And uh, I can't even begin to tell you the makeup of the uh, the crew. You know, uh, uh, John Culley was what? He was doing um, some sort of uh, um, training films or something. Is this a Navy doing, for the yeah. Navy? And uh, I think I think the the head grip was a waiter by day and grip by night. <laughs> all these all these guys that were none of them were full time professional filmmakers either. You know the um, so it really was. Uh, every time I read some review of the first film and uh, and they criticize it for this or that, and I'm thinking it's a miracle you saw it at all. <laughs> Never mind uh, criticize it. It's a miracle that the movie's famous. Um, Perverse. Yeah, that's something I always think about when I'm told uh, yeah. whenever you see a bad actor in a movie, it's it's I was told once like and it's some behind the scenes featurette on a, on the, some random movie. They said, "Well, yeah, it's like what you don't realize is how long it took us to find just that good of an actor." Yeah, <laughs> you have no idea the the worst actors that we had to audition before we found anything that good. Well, we always point out all of those people in the first film are members of the Screen Actors Guild, so they were union. They're your family. So, and people often would say, "Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, those are professional actors." And if you look at their credits, they usually begin and end with the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah, that's the end of their career. <laughs> we have a couple people in uh, 
Happy Hour, non, our non-killer tomato movie. And it's the yeah. same thing. If you look at their credits, it's that's the last movie they ever did. And they disappeared. It's like, what happened here? I mean, somebody is sour grapes. Uh, I'm actually going to be seeing Eddie Deason next month. No, oh, really. no kidding. Eddie Deason. Uh, he, he's going to be at Retro Toy Con in Greenville, South Carolina on November 17th to the 19th. He and I are both going to be uh, uh, celebrity guests there. And uh, I'm just going to ambush him with nothing but sour grape questions the whole weekend. Yeah, well, great. You know, I get, it, he was, uh, I tell people, uh, but the Eddie Deason you see on screen is the Eddie Deason that exists in real life. You know, he's, yeah, he's yeah. exactly well, the character you see on screen. Um, and uh, I went to a Padres game with him. Uh, we um, we got the old San Diego Stadium was long gone, but they had a little door right behind the umpire. You could you could look out this little window and be right behind the plate. And he and I stood there uh, watching the baseball game right behind the plate. And he was, I have to say, I was pretty excited to be there, but he was super excited to be there. <laughs> but yeah, that that's Eddie is what you see is what you get, and that's that was him, all right. The um, so uh, in looking for um, how, how, did, how the people to do that documentary, how did you find some of those people like Angela Visser and and all? Uh, believe it or not, the how I found most well, first off, not to to, to feel like you guys being knocked down a peg and your fame and fortunes, but uh, you guys were a little more obtainable than most Hollywood types because uh, you're just a, a Gang of friends from San Diego, so that made it very easy. No agents, yeah, no agents. (laughs) (laughs) So that made it very easy to uh, Mm -hmm. just go to a uh, particular website. It's a public website. It's called FastPeopleSearch.com, and all you do is you just type in a name and a town or a phone number, and it just gives you whatever public records there are associated with that. So, given you guys were from San Diego and have been your whole lives, it didn't make it very hard to pinpoint phone numbers to try. And like I said, luckily, uh, the first one, Steve's, that I tried was the landline that he said he hadn't answered in 10 years or something. So it was I, I, I parking tickets dot custom. Yeah, that's right. What's it called? Fast? Fastpeoplesearch.com. Wow. That was, uh, that was just a site that I had discovered. Like I said, it's public. It's free. There's nothing shady about it. It's just something right. about public records. Wow. That's amazing. But, yeah, but I used that to hunt. But like I said, you know, that was easy enough because you guys are from San Diego, been there your He's whole time. He's also collecting your social security checks. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for some of the other uh, people like Angela Visser, I managed to like get her through. I, some of the people, some of the celebrities I managed to get through Instagram, through Twitter. Uh, others I got through, what am I thinking of? Uh Oh, I had to Maurice LaMarche, who was the voice of the brain that did a lot of voices in the cartoon series for mm-hmm. Killer Tomatoes. I found him because he was doing cameo videos on that cameo.com site. And you can send direct messages uh, when you do a request for a video. So I just sent a direct message saying what I was doing. And, hey, would you help out with this? And he obliged. He was very kind about that. Said, oh, that's exciting. He's like, yeah, well, I want to be part of that. And then, of course, um, the other voice actors, they were luckily coming to the same convention that i'm seeing eddie deason at last year mm-hmm. so knowing that they were coming i just reached out to maurice lamarge and said once again like hey uh can you just i'm not asking for these people's contact information but if you have it can you just let them know i'm going to be 
doing this or can you just forward this message to them that I'll be hitting them up for an interview about being on the cartoon series? And he actually did that. When I got there, they knew what I was talking about. They found a little bit of time to squeeze away from their Ninja Turtle fans that were all wanting their autographs that day and uh, did an interview with me off in a side room real quick. Ninja what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We won't talk about that. And so... (laughs) And so, and how long did it take you to edit all that? I mean, that's a oh lot my god, that, uh, that was all the interviews took me about a year to complete, but it didn't take me a year to do because I mean, every interview, uh, every interview was a half hour to an hour. John Aston took two hours interview. Steve, you were the longest. You were three, because you know you and I have so much to catch up on. You're one of the creators, and you had so much input and and things that the other that cost and John didn't have. Uh, but then after I got all the interviews completed, I had roughly 22 to 24 hours of footage, I believe. And I had edited that down to the three hours and 10 minutes that you see in the documentary. That took me a full year. Wow. What's the, what's the one thing that, either surprised you or you found the most interesting or somebody else found them or just the most memorable thing about the experience that you have uh well <clears throat> i could i could say three three things okay. about that uh no, number one was getting to talk to angela visser that was pretty phenomenal that was amazing she says she didn't even bother going to a uh, miss universe reunion but bothered to be part of this <laughs> that was significant to me. That that meant a lot. Uh, my my wife is also a big fan of her, so she got to talk to her for about 15 minutes. That was like the greatest gift I could have given her last year. Uh, the other big surprise that just makes me laugh every time was uh, talking to uh, Crystal Carson. Mm-hmm. Best interview. Just so phenomenal to talk to. She was so entertaining. And like you guys, I was so shocked by all the talk about the sandwich fetishes. <laughs> because she reveals yeah, that was news to me when I saw that. <laughs> but yeah, it's like she's made into a sandwich in, in Taylor Tomato Strike Back, and that's been following her ever since then with all these people who have food fetishes, <laughs> sending her all these bold letters, writing <laughs> sandwiches. Whatnot. Oh, well, like, oh yeah. my god, seriously! And then you guys didn't know about that, so I got to tell oh, you. Oh, I know. Clue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then last, uh, I think. One thing I always really, really love to dig into with any kind of backstory or somebody's uh, just beginnings or how they got to where they got to is always uh, just their family dynamics. Like, you know, were you in a relationship? Did you manage to to make things work with your wife, your girlfriend, your kids, all that kind of stuff? And also just, you know, what's the expectation? Because you guys live the American dream. You had an idea, you made it real, and then you sold it into something that made some profit. And everybody likes to think that it's going to be the Ninja Turtles dream where it's like, yeah, we made a black and white comic and it blew up into this multi-million dollar thing that now has set us up for life. And while you guys are well off, I mean, you're not living in boxes off of the Walk of Fame or anything, but you guys are very real and said like, well, it made us some money that maybe bought us a house or a car or, or, you know, it it kept us from being homeless for a time, but it wasn't anything that made you millionaires and you know living by the pool all day long now who told you we made a profit 
<laughs> well, Steve said that guy in Hawaii made a profit. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. We, we haven't told Costa. For yeah. crying out loud, told me. Yeah, out of the bag. All these years. We I know. Them. I'd be able to get a bigger box now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when we did the first, I was quoted in the first film, we were filming downtown San Diego, the, the battle scenes. And I remember some reporter asked me why we were doing it. And I said, because we want to be thousandaires. <laughs> and I think they put that in a story. <laughs> and we did, we became thousandaires. <laughs> it worked. Did you buy yeah, just, see, oh, go, go ahead. Did you see the piece? I don't know where it was. <laughs> and just last week on uh, Killer Tomatoes started a new genre. No, what was the genre? Oh, it's a, yeah, uh, it's uh, something I picked up on. It was a, uh, it was a review in, uh, darn, I can't remember. Interceptor or something. Yeah, like something like that. You you could probably find it if you um, do a quick Google search. And yeah, the uh, the writer said that uh, he said all credit to Airplane and so forth, but we really started this this spoof genre that uh, you know that um, it was interesting because. He did see some things in the film that aren't there, <laughs> but he also saw some things that lots of other people seem to miss. And I, I appreciated the fact that he recognized what we were trying to do, even though there was probably a, a level of ineptness in there because it was the first film and we had a shoestring budget, but he understood what we were trying to do and that other people then built on it. You know, when we saw, I know when I, when I saw Mars attacks and you get to the end and they destroy the Martians with a bad song, I thought, you know, okay, Tim Burton, put the check in the mail and send it to me because, you know, good grief. <laughs> the, 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 um, uh, and the slow car chase I've seen in, in other places too. Um, but we did it first. And, and it's, I think it's a, uh, Probably because we're kind of an obscure film, so you know filmmakers will steal from obscure films. They figure nobody's ever seen it, so they'll think I did it first, and uh, <laughs> they'd seen it. So it was a it yeah. Was but a the nice more thing. interesting thing, though, is, mm -hmm. as opposed to thing, is, is his notion of of genre creation, and he yeah. starts with the premise that people look at airplane and Kentucky Fried Chicken, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and movie. Kentucky Fried Movie, Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I miss lunch. That's right. The, uh, uh, and what, what he doesn't know is the interesting part of that aspect. And I think, you know, I agree, obviously, with, with I, would, I don't know that I agree. It's not something I would have gone to, but he makes a pretty logical point, alludes to different ways you can look at the movie and whatnot, and, and its positives and its negatives and whatnot. But what he doesn't know in speaking to Airplane and Kentucky Fried Movie is that the producers of both of those films were working in around Scott Sound when we were doing Killer Tomatoes. And in fact, despite the fact that by release date, we were behind Kentucky Fried Chick movie and just ahead of whatever, we were actually mixing in front of them and by a good year. Okay. And and there was a, um, uh, I, I just, what was his name? The guy that owned Scott Scam, Bruce Scott. Bruce Scott. Yeah. Bruce Scott. And I have no way of knowing whether this is a true story or not. But Bruce Scott, and he's now dead, so I can, I can, I can tell it without <laughs> fear of contradiction. Uh, insists for decades that um, the 
what are the Abrams brothers that who yeah. they did uh, yep. the airplane, right? Yep. That they were sitting in the back of a mixing session at Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and went straight from there. And he claims they told him this story. Got went, grabbed the script, which was an old 1940s script, and just wrote the dialogue, rewrote, rewrote this old legitimate movie that had been shot right. based on the style that they had just watched in in the in the mixing session at Killer Tomatoes. Don't know whether that's true or not true, to be candid. I you know, but Bruce insisted it was. That surprised me. And he well, until somebody steps he... forward and says it's a lie, I say go with it. That's the truth. Well, yeah. When Airplane came out, that's the first thing we did. Is we looked at it and said, hey, it's our movie with the budget. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, and it's true. It, it, You know, a line delivered by an actor you never heard of is different than a line delivered by Leslie Nielsen. And because you've got a character, you, you, you have an image of that person. And so when they play against type, it's it's. It comes out funnier than when an unknown person yeah. says it. It's one of the hardest you know? things in maintaining genre, so to speak. I can now say that since a third party has right. suggested we have a in a genre that we're at least a part of, if not having invented it, <laughs> is in working on remake, the staying inside that in a script when you then have to deal with uh, potential production partners, distribution relationships promotion, advertising, and whatnot, and now you're just working off a script because you, you've you got to be careful not to over-deliver in what you're writing because a lot of it is just deadpan, straight dialogue that's a matter of timing in terms of how it's delivered. And, you know, to Costa's, you know, Nielsen point, you know, it's who's delivering it, when they're dealing, what's the background, what's the setting, and so you look at that script and it looks pretty utilitarian if, you know, from the dialogue perspective, right? And in the meantime, if you try to fill in all the back, what you have in your head in terms of what's going on in the background and what's that, suddenly you have a 340-page script because trying to write background stuff is a, takes a lot more time than writing dialogue. So one of the interesting difficulties in getting a project like this to screen through traditional steps you take in making a movie is the first step is script. And, and the reality is you, you can't write <laughs> with me, no. through lots of iterations of this and, and you, you have more of a threat of overwriting it than underwriting it. And then, um, you know, we have it out with Jeff Scott, right? Uh, Jeff um, Strand is doing a, who did the, did the book. Um, is working on a punch-up and stuff. And, you know, the last thing I told him, I said, you know, don't try to overperform. you know? It's just, it's yeah. hanging, don't overdo it. The, and, and, it's, and it's true, actors bring more to a role than what you've got on the page. Um, John Aston was just, you know, phenomenal. And uh, Steve Lundquist, I know, downplays what he, what he did because he hasn't done any, really any other acting. He went on do other stuff but he's he's funny you know he just he just uh i don't think he appreciated that uh he he brought a lot to just playing those that role of, of igor uh, that he oh, i had fun with him one play. morning one morning yeah. i was watching a uh, love boat and i was sending him pictures of 
because it was his episode. I was sending him pictures of him doing like aerobics mm-hmm. classes and right. stuff in spandex. I'm like, yeah, you did a great job here. And he's like, oh, forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's had a variety of jobs since uh, he was a, his, his foray into acting. But yeah. The, um, so, um, but you, you, Steve just asked you, you know, what, what did you find surprising? Did, um, did anything else, um, any of the people you contact have anything that you decided, I don't think I want to put that in the documentary? <laughs> Actually, no. Uh, what you see in the document, okay. in, in the okay. documentary, the retrospective, <laughs> that is without, not even joking, that is 95% of what everybody said. If there was anything ex-nade, it was only because it had nothing to do with Killer Tomatoes or that, that's really the only reason it wouldn't be in there. That or just I couldn't fit it in. Like Richard Mueller, who worked on the cartoon series, mm-hmm. uh, he had these really funny stories about working in the Marvel animation studio and how as a writer, he had an office where he kept a, a pet bird. And he said they would keep like flying around the office, go to the uh, to the like the manager's office. The manager would call him down there, tell him come get your bird. And he had funny stories like that, but I just couldn't find an organic way of fitting it in where it felt like it really had anything to do with tomatoes well enough. So that kind of stuff I have to cut out. But no, ninety five percent of what I recorded is all in there. So you came to the to the property through the cartoon, yeah. Which most people generationally at this point did there because. Those that are our age are all dying off, as you pointed out. The uh, appreciate that. Uh, the uh, uh, so looking forward, and now you've gone back, and nobody has autopsied all four movies and everything else more in more depth than you have, including any of us. Um, what do you, you know, what? How do you characterize if something was going to happen new? What? What, what would you say? What, what's the what do you want to see and not see? As if a new Killer Tomatoes movie came out, what do I what would I want to see? What how would I want to characterize it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, for just the sake of being a horror movie fan who loves monsters and eye candy and puppets and that kind of stuff, I would hope that I would get to see some type of killer tomato characters again just like in part four if you guys were to totally uh, reverse it back to like just the tomatoes or just the tomatoes the size of my fist and that was all you had throughout the whole movie i, I would feel pretty disappointed by that but that doesn't mean I, I wouldn't like the film because obviously i would still watch it i would still want to watch it and uh i would still enjoy especially if you guys were behind any of it because i'm i know you guys would at least watch it like a hawk and be giving a lot of notes like this is funny that's not funny or this is how we would probably do it so i would hope it would come across the same humor that you guys had in all those other movies i mean well well i'll put it this way i mean even the cartoon series the cartoon series is a great example if somebody came out with a new movie today because you guys were as i found out through the retrospective you were pretty separated from the cartoon series right and even though you guys had your gripes about maybe they took in some directions you didn't fully, you, it's not something you would have done. I still really, and I even said this in the retrospective, I still felt like they did their homework. They paid attention to the movies, what you guys did in the first two, which was only all that was available at the mm-hmm. time when they were making the cartoon series. And I felt like they they watched it and they took notes and they did their homework and they made sure it was 
close enough to what you guys did to carry the spirit of the mm-hmm. fun and the parody and the humor. Of course, that you know that changed by season two and they got more serious, but especially in that first season. So if that's an example of how the the spirit of your fun can live on through someone else working on the property, then absolutely, I think it's possible, and I would have tons of fun watching it and. I would absolutely, fingers crossed, hope that it would bring about more merchandise of the kind that uh, I was always hoping for as a kid, which I said in the retrospect, and that's, you know, I'm still waiting for that killer tomato about the size of a basketball that I can buy right off the shelf of a uh, spirit Halloween store. There actually is somebody else working on um, the story of the toys. Um, Is this the guy in Spain? uh, No, no, he's writing a book. Um, Oh, yeah. um, Okay, okay. No, this this guy's working on the story of the toys, and he's interviewed us about the toys themselves, not just our toys, but other other toys as well. Nice. But you know, I'm, I, that brings to mind that at Comic Con this year, some fan came by and said um, he actually had a Killer Tomatoes T-shirt. I have no idea where he got it, and uh, uh, I, I asked him about he did the same thing. He was a fan of the cartoon show his same age group and i asked him about the toys and he said that he didn't have the toys because they were scary he said that that all the 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 killer tomatoes were scary and he didn't want to have one in his bedroom at night because they were scary as opposed to superhero toys and action figures uh, have you, you know, got any feedback like that? I mean, do do should we have killer tomatoes that are friendly killer tomatoes? <laughs> Good guy well, killer I, tomatoes. I think that's what FT, FT is. Yeah, he is, but FT is a friendly tomato. But no, I was yeah. more about a yeah. I'm more about something like this. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. I, like that's like a, a pumpkin character from right. Halloween mm-hmm. City like years ago, but just something yeah. as simple as that. Because I even contacted Trick or Treat Studios, who does a lot of uh, prop duplicates, replications, and stuff they sell on Halloween shelves. And mm-hmm. uh, just I just gave them a word of advice, like, "Hey, you should really make these because no one's done these, and people would buy them." Because you go online, people are trying to make their own Zoltans like day after day, and then you find all kinds of uh, fan art of him like all the time. Because people just want that size of a killer tomato. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Is, would that be a medium large? Size of a basketball, I think you guys would just kill it as far as like if you really want to give fans something they would really love, fans like me, it would be just something simple as that. I think this cost me oh, of course, a vente. Of course. Fifteen or vente, right, clearly right, a vente. Right. It's a vente size tomato, right? <laughs> Bigger than a beef steak, smaller than a beef steak, bigger than a cherry. I get it. Okay. So. <laughs> and speaking, yeah. of games, and speaking of toys and games, I thought that was funny, too. I loved how I was so ready to talk about all the different video games based on the Killer Tomatoes. Every single one I brought up, you guys were like, that wasn't us. We had to sue them. We had to shut that down. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, we had the Game Boy. The Game Boy we were, was we were never very good at getting into market, making any money off of these things, right. but we're really good at keeping anybody else from making That's any exactly money. right. That guy, we're not going to make money, you aren't either. That's right. It was all about defense. <laughs> oh, Costa, you'll, you'll enjoy this story because you don't know about this. Well, when I was interviewing Steve, because this didn't make in the retrospective, 
when I was interviewing Steve, I told him, I was like, well, I have questions about uh, this one comic. I have this one comic book of Killer Tomatoes that came out like around 2000, around the time of the, I think, 25th, 25th anniversary. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know anything about that. I said, well, let me go grab it. I went and grabbed it. And I'm like, see, it's like, it's really ugly. It's got this awful artwork. It's That's just ugly. so terrible. And I'm like, it's like the artist is, oh, wait a minute. It's like the artist is, turns out to be his son. <laughs> 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 it was done that was done for comic-con in order to you know be have a comic you know because they, they they seem to want you to have a comic connection sometimes at comic-con <laughs> yeah but it blew my mind that steve yeah. I, either you forgot or you just never knew your son I made forgot, comic. Yeah, I forgot about it. Yeah. yeah i'm surprised you knew who i was when you interviewed him so it was one of the it was a promotional thing we did it when one of the comic cons a giveaway. We still got about eight thousand. Yeah, them, we so. got at least eight thousand boxes. <laughs> boxes of them, unopened. Exactly right. So, yeah. Why well, do you keep asking me about something I probably don't have that I would have from all things Killer Tomatoes? And there was uh, I. I think I was misspoken. There was something I've only found an image of of the cover, and I thought it was a Killer Tomatoes cartoon magazine or comic of some kind. It's like mm -hmm. a magazine format. I think what it actually was was some kind of fold-out poster from the cartoon, and when you fold it down, it looks like a magazine. No, I had not seen that. Well, that may have, yeah. you know that could have been part of the cartoon uh, marketing promotional packet, yeah. press packet, press packet. Yeah, because I've only found one image of it ever. And it was in the retrospective when I was talking about like books and pamphlets and stuff and the merchandise section. Okay, interesting. Well, we're going to come to the end of our time because they're going to have I have to line up uh, the next the next uh, interview. But we gonna give you a few minutes with anything you want to ask us. <laughs> well, I'll just add: Is there anyone uh, that you were maybe hoping I might have gotten in touch with for the retrospective but ended up not being? In oh yeah, George Clooney. Well, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> No, I did reach out. I did. did you not call him or what? Heard back. Was he busy? <laughs> well, I, I at least yeah. found that old uh, video of him saying that it was claimed to be one of his uh, worst ones, working every yeah. turn of the field with us. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, you know, it, it was, I'm trying to think if there's, uh, the only, yeah, the only person would have been De uh, uh, know, Debbie, I uh, can't think of her name now. Ferris. Debbie Ferris? No, Debbie Gates. Um, Debbie Gates kind of disappeared. And uh, she was in Happy Hour, and she, then she had a smaller part in Killer Tomatoes, um, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. But um, she kind of disappeared, and she was uh, she was uh, really great to work with. And I kind of lost track of her. She was doing Shakespeare in L.A. for a while, and then kind of was that the uh, the dark hair girl you were standing yeah. by in the parking lot in the garbage yes. truck, right? Okay. Yeah. And she's in a she she's in a window scene as later on. She's dressing up people in the uh, homeless look. Um, Thing. But yeah, she she disappeared. Other than that, I think uh, you got about everybody I would have wanted to know where they were. So yeah, I, uh, let's see who I, I reached out to Anthony Stark, and he said he had already done an interview for Return to the Killer Tomatoes. So he was acting like I, there's no reason for me to do it again. I already did it. It would have helped if he had remembered it was for the Blu-ray release of Return to the Killer Tomatoes because he has yeah. completely forgotten about that detail. I found that out when I finally got a copy of it. Uh, but yeah, reached out George Clooney's agent, didn't hear back. Terry Weigel, I tried to get a hold of, but I don't know if I ever did find the right number for her. Uh, I actually did talk to the 
Flying Pizza Brothers that loaned you the blimp in part four. Oh, right, right, right. I did talk to them, but they never got back in touch with me in time for me to do an interview with them. And I was like, well, I'm just ready to get this over with because I've already been working on this for a year and it's not mm -hmm. that important. But no, the, the only other uh, cast member who I was really working hard to try to do an interview with was uh, Debbie Fairs, who was in Sour Graves Happy Hour. And right. then she played the the hot chick in the lab and Return of the Killer Tomatoes, the victim at the right. beginning of Strikes Back. And then she was uh, one of the Maries behind the stage of the rock concert in mm -hmm. Tomatoes in France. I was contact. I mean, she, she was contacting me back, but we were playing just kind of phone tag for over a year before I finally just had to give up because I just needed to get the, the retrospective out. So she waited me out and she won. So Debbie actually is um, a significant other of my brother-in-law, Robert. <laughs> and you happened to catch her at a period in her life where she was dealing with some family issues and estate issues, their parents passing, and it was just a chaotic time. Oh, yeah, I didn't take it personally at all. I yeah, just was... No. I like we know where I, she I, is. I <laughs> she would periodically say, you know, there's guys trying to get on. Like, he's fine. It's all right. But I'm dealing with my mom. And, you know, da, 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 da. you know, it's, well, she ended up being the, the trustee for her family trust, which if that ever happens to you, run. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I was not an honor. about yeah. that recently. Lawyer told me it's not an honor. It's not. <laughs> but no, but no, I was, I was politely persistent with her. I, I, would only contact her through a text like maybe once a month just saying oh hey would you maybe be ready for this yeah because she never said no just maybe not now so i've just tried yeah. like once a month once every couple of weeks but it finally like i said uh it just finally came time for the retrospective to come out and i mean i even had uh charlie banned from full moon features uh for a hot second uh to do an interview just because he was the first person to release killer tomatoes and vhs right. Right. But again, it just it was the timing wasn't working out. It's like, well, this retrospect is more or less done. It's not that important. I just got to get it out. Yeah, he's instrumental in the film, you know, being known because we were somebody said there's like the first hundred titles or something that came out on VHS. It was, oh, yeah. Yeah. He was one of the first people to move the VHS. Right. Because market. in those days, yeah, studios didn't want to go to videotape. They were afraid of it, that it was going to kill their, their Still market. to this day, of the single largest in a one-year period VHS sales of any title in the country of Spain. <laughs> and I have no idea why. <laughs> El Tomat. Yeah, can't explain it. <laughs> yeah, it blows my mind just learning like how something as simple as a VHS sales could just boost something that's already been out for a while. Like that's how uh, Swamp Thing got a sequel. It's, I think yeah. they advertised the VHS and the Sears catalog well after it was already had had already come out and then years later it's like oh well this is like blowing up in the vhs sales let's make a sequel now on the other hand i go on a trip to asia and i'm in thailand japan various places and i every single hotel has got killer these in the early days you just had selected titles right it wasn't when you get, just got everything they're all playing killer tomatoes and i go I, and i'm anxious to get home and 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 figure out through what mechanism we got this release, right? And of course, it, it was all bootlegged. Right. So, <laughs> so like they care. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Dan. We appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. If we uh, do, uh, if there is there, there is more new, if there is new tomato news, we'll be sure to let you know. Yeah. Well, yes, anyone looking to find me can find me at ScreamingSoup.com, home of the web's number one animated horror show and the Far most expert in all things killer tomatoes, according to you fine gentlemen. 
Uh, you can find me on all my social media handles from X to Facebook to YouTube. Uh, we're always reviewing yesteryear and today's B-movies of horror and sci-fi, and uh, it's all animated. We're the world's first fully animated horror host show. It stars a gas-guzzling, ray-gun-slinging cowboy skeleton named Dead West with his partner from hell, a goat named Billy. And there are always a misadventures in the wild, weird West. Uh, right now, we're at uh, 53 episodes going on to 54, and it's not anything you want to miss. If you love Saturday morning cartoons, retro video games, uh, ind independent comic books, then this is right up your alley. you got to give us a look. Okay. And if, if we do a film, we will let you know what it, what we will charge to be on the crew because... <laughs> oh, yeah, I... Again, well, we can't afford to pay people. We're going to have people pay us. Yeah, yeah, we're can't, well, can't be any worse there. than Troma. You know, Lloyd Coffin was paying his people in uh, cheese sandwiches. And that's not <laughs> even a joke. That's well, how we're a little more classy than that. <laughs> Peanut butter and jelly, I think. So, all right. Well, thanks again, Dan. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. Right. Take care. Bye. -bye. Thanks for listening to Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Be sure to follow and subscribe whenever you listen to your podcasts. To read the blog associated with this episode, visit olusmedia.com. This episode was produced in studios located in San Diego, California and Tijuana, Baja, California. Creative director Ulises Bretog. Sound engineer Alan Glazepar. Fina Alvarez is co-producer. Serving as executive producer and co-founder is J.C. Polk. And Chad Pease is president and co-founder. Olus Media is an IVC media company. Olas Media.